We're going to almost finish the, the epistles of John today. We're looking at verses 18 to 20. Ha <laughs> got it. Verses 18 to 20. Um, let me digress a moment. Who's that? Yeah. In old movies, a guy from New York and New Jersey, sometimes played by Frank Sinatra, says, Well, what do you know? Kind of expression of surprise, you know. I didn't know that. You're telling me something I didn't know. Or sometimes it's sarcastic, you know. As if, you know, well, do you think I didn't know that? John is drawing this letter to a close, and in doing so, he punches out, we know this, we know this, we know this, we know this. We're going to look at most of those today. If we've been listening and learning this past months, as we've gone through this, and it's almost a year we've been doing this, None of this should be a surprise to us today, but we may need to be reminded. For others of you who have not heard these last months of teaching, this may be news to you, but I pray that the Lord will help you to pick up with us today something that's going on here. First of all, we need to go back over the whole letter for a moment and repeat that John is writing to an urgent situation. There is false Christianity, there's false teaching, there are false teachers who are troubling the church. And it repeatedly gives us three tests of how to discover what's true and false, whether that's in teaching and teachers, or in a particular kind of church group, or in personal faith. They, the tests are these, truth, righteousness and love, truth. Does this teaching, does this so-called church group or whatever, do you as the believer honour Jesus Christ as the eternal Son of God, come to us from the Father, made truly human, dying on the cross as our substitutionary sacrifice for sin, raised again from the dead as Lord of all and giver of life? Is that what's going on? Is that the message? Or is it something else? John has repeated in his letter the teaching of the Lord Jesus himself. You cannot have God without Jesus. You can't have the Father without having the Son. Jesus Christ is the only way to God. Every religion that seeks to come to God outside of trust in Jesus Christ is false and futile. No matter how fierce it is, it's false and futile. second one is righteousness. Does this teaching... Does this church group or whatever produce a way of life that honors God and keeps his commandments? Because those who are born of God and who love God keep his commandments. It's their way of life. Do you as a believer live by his grace for his glory or do you live for selfish ambitions and appetites? Does your faith produce obedience to the Lord Jesus? Because those two things should never be separated from one another. In the book of Romans, they're not. Beginning of the book of Romans and the very end, Paul uses the same phrase. Beginning and end. The obedience of faith. Faith will produce obedience in the same way that a fruit tree should produce fruit. The third one is love. Does this teaching that's going on, does this group, church group produce love and care and concern for one another as the children of God? as we're co-heirs and partners together in his grace, does your faith that you claim produce love for God and for his children? See, these are the three tests that John's repeatedly applied to, do, to discover these things, to show what is true and what is false. And we're not just looking around us to apply these tests to some wacky preachers and teachers and some dodgy churches we're not too fond of. 
we've got to let these test us too to search our hearts. And if we've done that somewhat along the way, I think we have, John draws his letter now to a conclusion and he gives us some more we knows. John 5.18 We know that no one who is born of God sins. But he who is born of God keeps him and the evil one does not touch him. We know that we are of God and that the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. We And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. Now John, earlier on, has already mentioned two other things that we know. As well, in John 5.13, he said, These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know that you have eternal life. We can know that we have eternal life. That we're alive to God and in God, and we will live with God forever. And we also know, John 5.14-15, that God will hear and answer our prayers. John 5.14, this is the confidence which we have before him, that if we ask anything according to his will, not just according to our fond wish, but according to his will, he hears us. And we know that if he hears us in whatever we ask, we know we have the request which we have asked from him. And Maxine was reminding us again this morning, something we learned some weeks ago there, that God's timing is not ours. Sometimes he's very willing to do what you've asked him, but he's not going to do it yet, because he's wiser than we are and kinder than we are. Let me list these things from John 15, 5, 18 to 20 for you. Let me just list them for you. We know that Christians are those who are born of God. We know that being born of God separates us from sins. We know that we are being kept by the Lord Jesus and the evil one cannot harm us. We know that we're no longer of this world which lies in the power of the evil one. We know that the Son of God has come. We know that we've been given understanding, insight, wisdom in him. We don't just know the truth, or even worse, know about the truth. We know him who is the truth. The truth is really a person, rather than a set of principles. We live in him. We live in Jesus. And this is the gospel. This is the true God and eternal life. Now I'm going to work through those and say just a little bit more about them. We know that Christians are those who are born of God. You're not a child of God because you were born of Christian parents. And because in whatever church you went to at that time you were christened or even dedicated as we do and confirmed. You're not a child of God because you've adopted a routine of church going and even Bible reading, and even praying. You're not even a child of God because you've come to believe certain things. No action of any person, whether it's a parent, a priest, a preacher, or yourself personally, makes you a child of God. No human action turns you into a child of God. You're a child of God because he has given you rebirth. Born of God, born of the Spirit, born from above, born again. 
Jesus said it to Nicodemus, a religious man, an upright man. He later on was one of the two men who buried Jesus in the tomb, cared for his dead body. Nicodemus. Jesus said to a man, maybe in his 50s, maybe a senior leader in Jerusalem, you must be born again. Paul and Peter in their letters also write about our being born of God, born anew. And of course John does as well in this letter we've been looking at these past months. So a Christian is a person who's been born of God. They've been brought to a new life in Jesus by the Holy Spirit working upon them. They didn't make a decision and the decision led to them being born of God. They began to think about things and they began to repent and believe because they had been born of God. Because God had changed their heart. They've come to trust and depend upon and to obey the Lord Jesus. Now, if I asked you, do you remember when you were born again? Some of us might and some of us might not be accurate in thinking that that was when it was. So you may not be able to remember, how many babies remember the the day they were born? A bit weird if they do, really. You may not be able to point to a day when you were born again. Don't be too concerned about that. Look rather at the before and after evidence. Remember what you were and what you became because of the grace of God and the work of God's Spirit in you. All right? Rejoice in the before and after. And even though we're not now all we should be, we know we're not what we were. We were blind. We were deaf. We were hard in heart. We were completely oblivious to to the goodness of God and the kindness of God. But something changed. The Holy Spirit caused us to be born anew. Make sure you know that you've been born of God and that you are a child of God. We're going to make space for you to pray before we finish. But that's true. Now, if we're born of God, that separates us from sin. I was tempted to bring in a whole lot of 1 John back again this morning, but there isn't time, really isn't time to do all of that. Let me explain this to you. We are cut off from our past sins. Because Jesus has died from on the cross and he's broken the power of sin in our lives. Jesus has done, the cross has done that. Killed them. But that doesn't mean we never sin, that we're completely without fault. But it does mean we don't continue the same way we were before we knew Jesus. We don't continue in the same lifestyle. We don't continue with the same habits. We don't continue with the same values, living by the same, same, same mindset. That is broken. That's the balance of teaching within this letter of John. We don't claim to know him who is light and continue to walk in darkness. We don't continue in a lifestyle and habit of sinful behavior. In fact, we keep his commandments. How? Because we've been reborn and we are even now empowered by the Holy Spirit and the grace of God and the truth of God. Yet we do not claim that we're faultless, that we never sin. And when we do sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. And when we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us again from all unrighteousness. But we do not continue in the bondage of sin with unbroken and unchallenged lifestyle of sin, sinful behavior. Born born of God separates us because Jesus did that on the cross. 
We know that we are kept by the Lord Jesus. And the evil one cannot harm us. My version, a lot of versions have touch us. Well, touch is a bit, bit weak, really. Uh, the devil certainly can touch us. But the word there is stronger than that. Jesus here is called he who is born of God. Some versions have the one who is born of God keeps himself. No, no, no. He who is born of God is Jesus. It's he, capital H. He keeps us. That's the, that's the promise and the prayer of Jesus in John's Gospel. He's our keeper. He's our shepherd. He comes and rescues us when we get lost, for goodness sake. He's our keeper. Father, I, I, I've kept every one that you've given me. Not one of them has gone apart from the son of perdition that it may be fulfilled the scripture. But the rest, the ones you gave me, I have kept. Jesus keeps his people. Here is the Lord Jesus praying. In that magnificent prayer of John 17. He says to the Father, I'm no longer in the world. Well, he's, he's, he, t- tomorrow he's going. He's dying on the cross. But he's talking like that. And yet they themselves are in the world. A bit obvious, really. I'm leaving them behind. And I come to you, Holy Father. Keep them in your name. The name which you've given me. That they may be one, even as we are. While I was with them, I was keeping them in your name, which you've given me. And I guarded them. And not one of them perished but the son of perdition so that the scripture would be fulfilled. A bit further down he says, I do not ask you to take them out of the world but to keep them from the evil one. That's the prayer of Jesus. Do you think it's going to go unanswered? That prayer is going to be fulfilled. The word touch is a bit misleading. The Greek word means to hold on to, to grasp. In fact, it even means to set fire to. The evil one may indeed touch us at times, but by the command of God, by the word of Christ, he cannot hold on to us, he cannot burn us. He cannot destroy us. When the evil one does touch us, it's only by the Lord's permission for the testing of our faith. He cannot attack us without God's permission. That, by the way, is one of the major lessons of the book of Job. And I'm not telling you to read the whole book. You can get that just from chapter 1. It won't take you long to pick, pick that one up. Satan does not have open access to God's children. If he was not restricted by that command of God, the devil would right today destroy every Christian on the planet. But he's not able to because he's restricted. In fact, Martin Luther described him as being God's ape on a chain. <laughs> Jesus holds the chain that restrains. God does not allow him to destroy us from the planet. The Lord keeps us from the evil one. 1 Peter says we are being kept by the power of God through faith. The Lord Jesus is keeping us as we trust him. In fact, John in the letter we've been looking at this past month says we overcome the evil one. And we overcome the world. But we don't presume on this. We don't act all cocky and boastful and all the rest of it. Because Jesus gave us a prayer. It's a pattern prayer. Our Father who in heaven, hallowed be your name. You know the prayer? They don't teach it nowadays, do they? Schools and so on. Many of us grew up learning that prayer. Here's the middle of it, or towards the end of it. Lead us not into trial, temptation, trouble even. You can say temptation, trial, trouble, that's what it means. But deliver us from the evil one. 
Deliver us from the evil one. I've said before, if we prayed that prayer as a pattern each day, we would not be easily overtaken and overcome by trial and, tri- and, and trouble and opposition. I'm not saying those difficulties wouldn't come. But having prayed, we are prepared for the test. And trusting in the Lord's help, we come through that time together. We overcome rather than we are overcome. We sang it earlier. Yeah? Yeah. Above the storm. Father, you are king over the flood. You know, we confess that he is the sovereign, that we're trusting in him. And the Lord takes us through that time. Just as they took the Hebrew, the young Hebrew men through the fire. They said to the, the king Nebuchadnezzar, Our God is able to deliver us from your fire, but if he doesn't, we'll die rather than bow to your idol. What they didn't reckon on was God had a third plan. He would take them through the fire. We overcome trials thrown at us by the evil one through faith in Jesus. This is a victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. Got to move on through these, punch them out a bit. We know that since we are of God, we are no longer of the world, which lies in the power of the evil one. Let's pick that through. How do we know we're of God? Because we've faced these three tests and honestly evaluated that our faith is genuine. That truth, righteousness and love are at work in us because we are born of God. If we believe the truth of Christ, if we keep his commands, if we love one another, we are those who are of God. Now, if we're of God, we're no longer of the world. We cannot be both. Dual citizenship is not available here. We're either citizens of God's kingdom or we're citizens of the kingdom of this world. Here's the kind of language we need to understand. The Bible speaks to us about being aliens and pilgrims and that this world is not our home. By the world, John means the fallen world of men. Human society, humankind and the way we are and the way we behave. He's not talking about the planet, the world of nature, though that too is corrupted by our sin. It's not the earth, it's the world of people. And I, I want to pick up a few scriptures from earlier in John here. 1 John 2.15 Do not love the world, nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, that's human appetites, the lust of the eyes, the appetites of your eyes, in other words, greed and Avarice and covetousness. And the boastful pride of life. Pride. Ambition. Ego. Is not from the Father, but is from the world. The world is passing away. And also its lusts. Appetites would be a better word. But the one who does the will of God lives forever. The world there is defined (laughs) 
I don't know. There. I moved the batteries. Rule there is defined in three ways. I've given you three A's because it's a good way to remember them. Human appetites. Not wrong in themselves, but used to wrong ends. Nothing wrong with being hungry, but gluttony is not good for you. Nothing wrong with taking a drink, but drunkenness is not good for you. Human appetites. Greed. Covetousness. You see, you want. How many of you figured out this is what the advertising industry depends upon? If we did not have appetites, avarice and ambition, there'd be no advertising. The advertise would, would be like this. We humbly suggest to you that we have a toothpaste, which might actually be quite nice for you to use. <laughs> there are other toothpastes, of course, but we think ours is rather good. Yeah? yeah? Something like that. Yeah. Honest advertising. It would be fun, wouldn't it, to write some honest adverts? Appetites, avarice, ambition. I want to be somebody, you know? Listen, we are no longer part of that world. We have been taken out of that world, having been bought by the precious blood of Christ, having been born again by the Spirit of God. We are, we are no longer part of that world. We live in it, but we do not belong to it. And the Bible uses words to describe those who follow the Lord Jesus like this. Aliens, strangers, sojourners, strangers. In this world. Because we're in the world but not of the world, we have, let's put it this way, a difficult relationship with the world. In fact, it goes like this the world will hate you. Do not be surprised, my brothers, that the world hates you. Why? Because Jesus told us. If the world hates you, you know it has hated me before it hated you. Get ready for it. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because, get this, you are not of the world. But I chose you out of the world. Because of this, the world hates you. We are something other. And we're resented and resisted. In fact, it comes to this, because the world hates God and Christ, it hates those who belong to the Lord. But we overcome the world by our faith in Jesus, not by fighting people, that we can fight for, for, for truth and we can fight against wrong thinking and wrong laws and so but we don't fight people. We fight by depending, throwing ourselves in trust and dependence upon him. Whatever is born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, not our guns, Americans. Our faith. Who is the one who overcomes the world? But he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Now, in earlier centuries, Christians made this, you know, I kind of understand in a way, but the world was like this, and we can't put up with this world. So do you know what? They withdrew from the world, and they they had monasteries and convents and abbeys and things. They withdrew, the Christians withdrew from the world. They weren't all single-sex communities. Some were were families and, 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 and so on, who just withdrew from the world because the world was so bad. Now, Jesus never intended us to withdraw from the world. Get it? We're in it but not of it. The Lord hasn't called us to retreat from the world, but to overcome the world. 
to live by a different set of values altogether, to refuse, like Daniel, we'll talk about that next week when we come to the, last, the very last verse of 1 John 5, to be those who refuse to conform, but to live by a different standard. Why? Because we are following a different master. In fact, we don't have the evil one as our prince. We own only Jesus as our prince. We're not here to improve the world. I know that sounds like strange doctrine. We're salt and light, but we aren't going to fix all the world's problems. There's no way that we are called as Christians to change the world and fix it all right before Jesus comes. That isn't the way it works. Not the way I read my Bible. Because the world will lie in the power of the evil one until Jesus comes and destroys it. Three times in the Gospel of John, the Lord Jesus calls the devil the ruler of this world. you think Jesus wants us to get something? Get in your heads, guys. The devil has some authority in this world to run stuff around. Not the authority that Jesus has, and that's why we are not of this world, and we're not under that prince. The world will be judged and destroyed in the end, along with the devil, the deceiver of men. That's why John says, if you love the world, the love of God is not in you. We're here to challenge and confront this world and all it stands for. We are God's counterculture. We are part of the kingdom of Jesus at work within the kingdom of this fallen world. Remembering this, we looked at this many weeks ago now, greater is he that is in us than he who is in the world. If we're born of God, we are not of the world. We know that the Son of God has come. Remember John wrote this to combat false teachers and false teachings. People who denied that the Lord Jesus is both fully God and fully man. Truly man walking amongst us. Truly God performing miracles amongst us. Such false teaching is still around today and I'm not going to bother you with who teaches like that because I'm not interested really. Well, I am, but I, I can't. Whatever. <laughs> I know where all that's heading. I know where it goes. It goes to hell, so we'll leave it at that. Jesus is not a created being. He is the eternal God. He's not just another prophet, and maybe there'll be another one after him. Maybe one called Mohammed. No! He's not just a good man. He's not just a great teacher. Jesus is the eternal Son of God. From all eternity, he's God the Son, equal with the Father and with the Holy Spirit. And he has come. Let me label this down. He's come to us. That is, he came from the Father. He came from heaven, as we say. He came out of eternity into time. He came from glory to grime, from dignity to degradation. Listen, folks, it's Christmas. Not Xmas. The clue is in the name. We may, we may be completely wrong in the date. Do you understand? It doesn't matter too much. We remember Christ came. Yes. He came to us from the Father, from heaven. He came as one of us. You can't be more human than a mewling, puking baby. <laughs> to quote Shakespeare. <laughs> You'll have to look it up, what that means. You can't be more human than that, can you? You know? 
when, when noise and mess comes out of different ends at the same time. You know, it's, it's like, that's human, mate. Right? Jesus came as a baby. And no, there wasn't light shining around his head. I'm sorry. <laughs> but for those with eyes of faith to see, they saw the glory of God in Jesus. He came as one of us. Fully human, yet without sin and without in any way ceasing to be fully God. As, as uh, I think it's Wayne Gruden, the theologian, says, even when he was in a manger in swaddling clothes, Jesus still ruled the universe. He was still God. He's come for us. That should say for us. Okay, I've got one of us twice. I wonder why I won't go. He's come for us. He's come to rescue us and bring us back. It's called salvation. It's called redemption. It's called rescue, if you struggle with those Bible words. He's come for us to grab hold of us and bring us to safety. We looked a couple of weeks ago at the phrase, he came through water and through blood. Jesus fulfilled the law, even being baptized in water by John, for repentance as if he was a sinner. He then took the place of us sinners on the cross and died for our law-breaking and our transgressions and our inner sinfulness. He came for us to rescue us and redeem us. And he will, I got that one right, he will come again to bring us home to our Father's house to join him in joy and peace and glory forever. I've got, I've got to get through these. We know that Jesus has given us understanding, insight, wisdom. Now, wisdom in those days was a big thing because it was a Greek-speaking world, although the Romans were in charge. All of the education system had come out of Greek philosophy and Greek education, the maths and the philosophy and the, uh, all of that kind of thing. In a Greek-speaking world, wisdom was like the highest value. You could be clever, but to be wise was, oh, wow, that guy's a philosopher. He's got wisdom. People bowed before the wise. Let me tell you something. The Bible says Christ is our wisdom. He gives us the real deal. He gives us the real answers. He gives us the real insight, the real understanding about life. We're not like the world. We're no longer blind and deaf to the truth in Jesus. Our eyes... Our ears, our minds, our hearts have been opened. Firstly, to the gospel, we've come to know the truth in Jesus. Then, because we've received the gospel, Jesus leads us into wisdom to live by. And the Holy Spirit and the Holy Scriptures, the Bible, work together to give us understanding and wisdom to change and shape our lives. If you live as a Christian by the wisdom of Jesus, you are not a fool. Not if you will pay attention to his word. We're only foolish when we neglect to receive understanding. When we don't, like Proverbs says, lift up our voice for it and seek after it. All right? But being lazy will make you silly. Have you ever thought about the word amusement? Let me break it up for you. A-muse-ment. Okay, bit of language here. Muse is to think. I'm going to muse on that. I'm going to roll it around and meditate and think it through. Okay? A muse is, I'm not going to think about that. I refuse to think about that. I'm going to have time out from thinking. So amusement is when we take time out from thinking. 
How many of you know that's not such a great idea after all? I'm not saying we should never allow ourselves some amusement, having an hour in front of the telly just to wind down, but avoiding thinking in the long term will make you foolish because you will not be receiving wisdom. You'll not be getting thoughts that are helpful to you. I studied computer technology years ago, um, went to college to do it, and they taught us some phrases. Here's one of them, guy go. Gaigo is computer programming for garbage in, garbage out. If when you're writing your program you put nonsense in, that's what you'll get at the end, nonsense. And if as a user you're using a program and you put rubbish data in, you know, you're writing a letter but you just bash all the keys. Garbage in. Garbage out. Do you know where I'm going with this? If you fill your mind, your head, your heart with full of TV, entertainment, computer games, social media, guess what happens? Guy go. <laughs> Let me say again that it's a foolish thing. If it's a foolish thing to say all that you think, you know, some people don't have a filter up there. They don't think what they're about to say. It just kind of comes out. You go, whoa, I'm sure you didn't wish to say, you wish you hadn't said that. It's also a foolish thing to put your unfiltered and unconsidered thoughts out on social media. Second thoughts are often better thoughts. And if you put your life out there in the public domain, don't complain when you're criticized. You told them, you put the photo. You're the self-publishing guru. And someone says, you, you know, I didn't like that, what you said there. Or whatever. Well, you, you asked for it. Be careful about how you spend your time and what you receive through those things because here's the principle. It's not just a computer language thing. It's true of life. What you feed in will be what comes out. And if it's garbage... <laughs> Thank you. Everything's t- We're having a great week with technology lately. Don't get me started about it. Garbage. Jesus is our wisdom. And if we will listen through the scriptures, let the scriptures talk to us, we will, be, we will learn to live well and to live wisely. Thought and prayer guided by God's word and by the Holy Spirit will cause us to live wisely and well. But we don't just know the truth, we know him who is the truth. Doctrine and theology matter. But there's something greater than study about doctrine and so on. It is to know Jesus. The purpose of my Bible reading on a good day, some days I just kind of plod through it to be honest because I'm only half awake, but never mind, is to know him. The whole of the scriptures speak of and lead us to the Lord Jesus. It is all about him. Let me give you another old computing term. WYSIWYG. Ever heard that one? I know this is going back to the 80s and I did. What you see is what you get. There was a day, a time, when computer screens were black and they had green or blue letters on them. And that's all you saw, characters, letters and numbers. Black screen, green or blue letters. And then in came people, you know, 
rank Xerox and Apple and then Windows caught on and so on. And you've got a screen full of images and pictures and colors and, and you've got to find your way around it with a mouse or a trackpad. And, and when you produce a document now, you can see it on screen. And that, what you see, is what you get. If you print it, that's the way it will look. If you send it to someone else, if you send it sensibly, and you don't just send it as a Word document, uh, but as, as something they, they can view as a print finished document, like a PDF, there's my little nag on that one. What you see is what you get. Where am I going with that one? As Christians, we too get what we see. We need the Holy Spirit to bring revelation to us so we see the truth. We see, but most importantly, we need to see the Lord Jesus. Corinthians says, two Corinthians actually, that as we behold him, we become more like him. We're changed from one degree of glory to another as we see him, as we look at him. I know you can't look at him with natural eyes. This is an issue of faith. But you become what you behold. That's and also a reason why, you know, giving all your focus, all your attention, all your, all your visual spare time to things which are not helpful to you is not a good idea. Because you become more like what you spend your time looking at. We need, with the eyes of faith, to be looking more and more at Jesus. Looking to him. And we will become more like him. Worship at its best is really doing just that. Coming with love and awe to gaze at the Lord and to be filled with his presence. The more we behold him, the more we become like him. We live in him. We live in Jesus. We don't just know about him. We live with him and in him. And he lives in us. We haven't been brought into religion and ritual, but a living relationship with Jesus Christ, God's Son. He's the living one. He can be known and heard and followed and obeyed. Now listen, you say, well, I can't see him. Yeah, okay, but let's pretend for a moment that someone is in the next room to you, but they're only just around the doorway. You can't see them. They're just around the doorway, but you can keep hearing them. And you can even hear their heart in what they say to you. Could you live with communicating with somebody like that? To a certain extent, yes. Well, what's the problem with communicating with Jesus and listening to him? Hearing his words. Hearing his heart, even. You can fellowship and partner and share the whole of your life with the Lord Jesus. Jesus himself spoke much about this. And the word he often used was this. Abide. It's to live in and with. To remain close. To remain joined. It's like branches in a tree. You know? The branch says, I'm holding the tree up. No, it's not. The tree is holding the branch up. The branch says, I'm providing life to the tree. No, the tree is providing all the life that the branch gets. Do you get it? We abide in Jesus and the life flows from him to us. Life in Jesus is not a Sunday to Sunday routine. It's an everyday way of life. Let me tell you how often I need air and water and food. Yeah. In fact, sometimes more than once a day. All right? How much do I need Jesus? More than those. More 
than those. That's why there are times when I'll seek him with fasting, because he matters more than that. This way of life as a child of God is every day. It is not a go to church on Sunday and get enough for the week thing. That's why those of, those of you who are part of midweek groups don't need telling. Those of you who are not young, you have to, you have to hear it again. That's why being part of something beyond Sunday morning is so essential to us because we need constant input. We need constant refreshing in the grace of God. We need our friends around us. We need the prayers of the saints. We need the encouragement of our brothers and sisters to keep on loving and living for Jesus. Let me tell you something. The cause of a great deal of disappointment and discouragement amongst many Christians is this, that we're trying to live more than one life. We're juggling being a Christian with being something else too at the same time. I'm not saying, you know, a nurse or a lawyer. I'm saying it's kind of like another identity. There's this me and there's this other me. Jesus himself said, serving two masters is pretty much impossible. It is tough having two bosses. We are called to live in, with, and for the Lord Jesus. And if you will do that and put the alternative lives to death, that is the way to peace and joy. Abiding in him. Living one life joined by faith to the Lord Jesus, praying to him, depending upon him, listening to him, receiving from him. The last one is this. We know that this is the gospel. John doesn't write it like that. He writes it this way. This is the true God and eternal life. And if you follow it through context, what does he say then? Then he says this. He's talking about Jesus. Jesus is the true God. Does that mean there's no Father and no Holy Spirit? No, he's not saying that. But Jesus, the, who, who he knew as a man, who he rested his head against at mealtimes, he is the true God. Amen. This Jesus is the true God and eternal life. Whatever does not faithfully teach these things is not declaring the gospel, whether it's word of faith, prosperity teaching, that turns believers back into worldlings and lovers of money, or the other extreme of liberalism that denies the person and reality and sacrificial death and resurrection of Jesus himself. Jesus is the true God and eternal life. This is all about Jesus. Jesus is the authentic, real God. That's what true there means. It's a different word from other places where it says true. Jesus is the authentic God. The rest are fakes. Jesus is the authentic, authentic, did you hear me say that? <laughs> Jesus is the authentic God, Hallelujah. the real God. Hallelujah. One day, just to prove that point, God the Father kind of steps back and commands that all creation confesses that Jesus Christ, this Jesus, this man, man and God, God man, he is God. Every tongue, knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. God the Father gets glorified when Jesus is is honoured as God. The gospel brings us to eternal life in Jesus. It doesn't bring us to a religious routine. 
Now, I'm not discounting disciplines of grace uh, that, like prayer and Bible study and fellowship and so on. I've preached about those. I've got, still got to talk about fasting with you on that issue. But life is more than disciplines and routines. Isn't it? Yeah. You use disciplines and routines like getting up in the morning and cleaning your teeth and eating breakfast and, yeah. to sustain life. So you get to have this fun of being alive. Yeah. Yes? Am I preaching? Yes. Do you understand that? Yes. Yes. The routines support yes. joy of life. And the disciplines and routines of practical Christianity are to sustain us in life in Jesus. We get this. We get a hold of it. It's real. Yes. We actually enjoy it. It's called joy in the Bible, by the way, but... If I say enjoy, you might not think of it as being religious. Yes. Joy is a religious thing, joy. Yes. <laughs> joy is so deep, joy, deep, joy. <laughs> well, joy that cracks a smile, in your fa- fa- a smile in your face might be a good idea too. You know? Shows you're having some fun. Yes. <laughs> Jesus came that we might have life. Life to the full. Joy-filled life. Peace-filled life. Finishing up. Only Jesus offers eternal life. Only Jesus makes that offer. And he has bought it by dying at the cross. And he's shown it, evidenced it by rising from the dead. I now have this life which I'm giving to you. Jesus reigns in the power of an eternal life, it says in the scriptures. Jesus in himself, in his own resurrected body, is the evidence to us that we will have eternal life with him. We look at an empty tomb, where is he? He's alive! Guess what? So are we, and so will we be. The life I now live, I live by faith in Son of God. The testimony is this, ran up. The testimony is this. God has given us eternal life. And this life is in his Son. Nowhere else. Just there. But amazingly there. Availably there. He who has the Son has the life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have the life. So let me come back to you with a couple of questions before we break bread. Do you have the Son of God? Is he your God and Saviour? Do you know that at least three times in Testament, Jesus is called God and Saviour? Is he your Lord and your Master? Don't call him boss. Boss has a wrong kind of... But you say, what, here am I, Lord. What do you want me to do, Lord? Here am I, my Master. Available to you today? How do you want to direct me? What conversations have you got for me? What's the day about? Where am I going to glorify you today in some particular way? Every day, we are servants of the Most High. Do you have life through faith in Him? If not, if you're not sure, because of before and after evidence, particularly rather than trying to pin down the date, if you're not sure you're born of God, let me give you a little bit of a piece of advice. In fact, it's a big piece of advice. Right now, take a moment or two. Ask him. Amen. Ask him. Ask him to give you new birth. Ask him to, to make you alive in Jesus. 
Ask him to change over so there is what, what you have been, who you've been, what you've been doing, the way you've lived, right up until this point, is now can completely change. Not because of your resolution, New Year's resolution, but because God's revolution that he brings about in your heart and in yeah, your mind. Amen. God gives you a new start. God gives you new life. Yeah. A new birth. Let's pray. And Colin's going to come and lead us in breaking bread. Tell him from your own heart, in your own words, that is what you want. Tell him right now. You want the whole deal. You want real life in Jesus. You want to have Jesus and have the life that's in Jesus. Ask him to do that for you. Ask him to do that to you. Thank you, Lord Jesus. It's all about you, Lord Jesus. King of